White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 734. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the palatial White Rocket Studios, somewhere on the southern continent of Orion 7... It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. See, I, I live on Earth, so I have been freed. You on Orion 7 are probably still under the thumb of President Clark. They ignored us. They didn't rescue us, man. What's up? They, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. They just, skipped, they just kind of forgot about you. They just skipped right on ahead to Proxima and left us out there to wither on the vine. It's not fair. <laughs> I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I am not actually on Orion 7. I knew I could come up with an opening that would make Andy laugh, though. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. And Andy, tonight we are up to episode 416. Yes. With the disputed title, which we'll get to in just a minute. All right. I don't, I don't know what to call it, because there's two different versions of the title of this episode. There is? There, yes, there are two different versions. I'm going to get to what? it. Okay. I know. Seems weird, but it's true. But before we get into that one, let me, as always, remind the fine folks out there, if you're not already a patron and supporter of the show, to help keep our program going, because we don't do ads. This is one of the this is one of the few podcasts, pretty much, that, that you can listen to that's not just blatantly and suddenly interrupted by some ad right in the middle of one of us talking, and it's awesome. This show is completely free to you. No interruptions, no ads, but we do need money to stay on the air, so we just beg people to please go to patreon.com or go to www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. We would appreciate it so very much. Plus, you can join our burgeoning uh, messaging family on the Patreon page. It leaves us great questions and comments and comment on each other and talk to each other. There's always a fun conversation going on on there, and I've got quite a few of their comments and questions to throw out there tonight when we get close to the end of the episode, so that'll be fun. Uh, they came through again with a lot of great questions and comments like they did last time. Yeah, and last so, time was just hilarious. Yeah, last time was great. They're back again. It's awesome. So, um, of course, you don't have to. You can just be a supporter and, and be a supporter. That'd be great. Um couple of news items. One is that we know for sure now that the movie, the animated Babylon 5 movie, which I forget the the voyage home or the search for Garibaldi or <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that, right? I think it's The Road Home. The Road Home, yes. It is going to premiere at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and that they're, and um, they're going to have, I believe, several guests for it there in the hall with JMS, including for sure, I think, I think Lita uh, is going to be there. And I think nice. uh, Sheridan, Bruce Boxleitner is going to be there. Yeah. 
I know Lita's real name like I know my own, but I don't even know my own right now, so I can't remember Lita's real name. Uh, 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 it'll come to me. Anyway, and there will be several others. So if you're headed out to San Diego Comic-Con this year, sounds like there's going to be a real big brouhaha of a Babylon 5 event, and I would totally yeah. be there if I were you. Yeah, and Patricia Tallman's going to be there as well. There you go. Thank you very much, Patricia <laughs> Tallman. Andy comes to the rescue. And I think a couple of others. Oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, uh, Lockley. Oh, wow. She's going to be there. Interesting. Captain Lockley is going to be there. Yeah. Can't remember her name either. Oh, uh, Tracy Absolutely. Scoggins. Tracy Scoggins. Yeah, yeah. Tracy Scoggins. Yep. She'll be there. Yeah, so Tracy Scoggins and uh, Patricia Tallman. And I want to say maybe Claudia Christian. I know there's at least three women. And then I think maybe Bruce. I know no Londo, no Peter Jurassic. Right, and no Bill Mummy. No Bill Mummy, although you never know. He he, he lives out there, I think. He could still show yeah. up, maybe. But, yeah, so they're going to have probably a question and answer and panel after right. watching the movie or before watching it or whatever. Yeah. So I would totally there, be there if I could. There's not two more than, than what you just mentioned right there. There's not too many other. I know it. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um all right, so that's one of the news items. And then um, did you have any other thing to add about the movie, the animated movie? We haven't really learned anything else about it in the last few days. I think we already No, I, have, I haven't seen anything else about that. So when, when I know the, I, I have my pre-order in. So. I was going to say, when do the rest of us get it? Late summer, like August, September, somewhere in there? I'm not sure. I know the pre-orders went up last week or the week before on yeah. all the various – the digital pre-order. I don't know. If, yeah, I don't, I, I'm assuming it's going to get a uh, – a hard copy release. It inside information. It sounds like there may be a panel for it at Dragon Con in the military sci-fi track where Babylon Five now lives. I have okay. no information. I am at liberty to give out about guests yet, although I am hopeful, and I think the signs point toward there being some Babylon Five guests at Dragon Con this year. But I think there's going to be a panel about the animated movie. And if I were to bet who would be on it aside from like any actors uh, in terms of like a fan panel, I would bet a lot of money on John Hudgens that does the, did the music videos mm. for Babylon 5. And I would bet on me being on it. I think there's a very, <laughs> very strong possibility that John Hudgens and I will be among the, if they do a fan panel as opposed to like a celebrity panel, right? Right. Because right. John is there every year, I'm there every year as guests. And they put us where they think we'll be the best. And he and I have been on the he and I have been on like every Babylon Five panel that track has done for the last five years. So, so if you're in if you're coming to Dragon Con this year, uh, we're over in the Westin in the military sci-fi track, and uh, it's a lot of fun. That's a fun little track because it's got that track has got Babylon Five, all the Stargate shows, Space 1999, Farscape, Firefly, Space Above and Beyond, and like. Star a Star Trek? Stargate. But does it have Star Trek? No, there's a there's a thing called Trek Track at Dragon Con that's huge. Oh, okay. Just for gotcha. Star Trek. And <laughs> as much as I love Star Trek and was watching the original series back in the early 70s, mid-70s and reruns, I've never done anything on the Trek Track. I don't know. the. I think Garrett Wang actually runs it. Really? Yeah. I think Garrett Wang, uh, the, they're, the They're having the whole, they're almost the entire cast of Strange New Worlds on there. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, they have their own track and their own room and their own place in the hotels. And I've never even been there. I'm always, I just, I don't have the time, you know. I When I'm yeah. there, I have a table in the artist, in the uh, pop artist alley 
with like authors and artists and stuff and comic folks. And when I'm not there, I'm at a panel or something, and I just don't ever have a time have time to go roaming around and, and to other tracks and all. So, which is unfortunate. See, if if DragonCon lasted two weeks, <laughs> then I could spend a week doing other things. But you know, I got to kind of make my money and and do the things I'm required to do and asked to do. And so they should so just anyway. have a bi monthly DragonCon. Oh man! Well, Atlanta's got so many conventions now; it's insane. And in fact. This is what killed me. There used to be a convention there in the summer, I think, called TimeGate, and it was a Doctor Who and Stargate convention. Those are the two <laughs> things that they covered. And I didn't I wasn't into either one of those topics at the time. And then I started watching Doctor Who and I started watching Stargate, and I liked both of them, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to TimeGate this year. And I couldn't find anything about it. I emailed somebody I knew that it used to go, and they're like, oh, they quit doing it. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I waited too late to get into this property, these properties, and they're gone now. So, oh well. I, th- here was what I said when I found that out. <laughs> so, yeah, that didn't go too well. But anyway, all right. Um, there was one other news item, just was that somebody pointed this out on the Facebook Babylon 5 group the couple, last couple of days, and you and I, I noted it to you. Was, and we've kind of touched on this before, I think, on one episode like a year ago. That there are not that many children that have ever been shown on Babylon 5. And this lady, Becky Ford, she actually went through and noted every time there was a child shown. And it was like a handful of times. And I just thought that right. was and, interesting. And no human children, I think she mentioned. Yeah, you know that you say that because there the, there's the Centauri kids in one of the yep. movies. And right. there's the Marcab little girl we talked about when the Marcab yep. croak. And there's... There's the, the little boy the kid, from the from your, believers. Your favorite episode. Oh Jesus, Lord Almighty! Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a hot take on that episode, but I'll save that for a different a different podcast. <laughs> we we gave out two hours of hot takes on that episode. <laughs> What's left to say, man? Holy cow! Well, I got a I got a doozy. For, I, see, I don't want to do it right now because I think you would fire me for saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull Andy. it out when you. I'll pull it out when you least expect it. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'm suddenly, the show's going to go like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Now I'm just going to be dying to know what it is. So, well, anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was interesting. And you're right. I had, that's a very good point that I hadn't considered is that even though there's only been a few children, there have been some, but I guess none of them were. The only uh, human child I can think of we had a little glitch there, and you don't know what you just missed. If I did remember to fix this, and he's about to die. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry, I'm a little sorry. goofy tonight. The only human child I can think of is in a later episode that first-time watchers have not seen yet, and I will not. And dear Lord, I hope I remember to edit out the, what I just said. Um, <laughs> first-time viewers have not seen this person yet, so there is one human child, right? But it's much later. Okay, but I just thought that was an interesting topic, and I wanted to mention it here. Um, and you mentioned it was that JMS has basically said he doesn't like cute kids being in his shows. So, right, no cute kids or cute robots. Right, and except for the vicar, and um, but that was a oh, Dottilio. Right. We, yeah, that was a Larry Dottilio creation. Um, but somebody pointed out that it's it's a station of commerce, diplomacy, and some military action. So it would make sense that not a lot of kids get brought there. This is true. Yeah, this is very true. Yeah, it's right. not exactly. A, it says right in the beginning what it is, and it's not a not a good place for it to to be raising a family. A place of commerce, diplomacy, and a daycare center. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Ivana was like, dang it, I got a cold again. These kids, man, this daycare center's <laughs> killing me. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, that's all the news I've got. Do you have any others before we get into the episode? You know, I will note that she, she in, in that thread, she did bring up some other people brought up some interesting things. Like, what exactly does a, a Narn pouchling look like? I mean, yeah. do Narns oh. have a pouch? Yeah, Narns supposedly have a pouch. And baby Pachmara. What, what? The baby, that's what I was, that's the one. That's the one. I'm like, baby Pachmara, I would pay five American dollars to see the baby Pachmara. <laughs> I want to see a uh, a baby Negrath. Oh, that's called a that's called a praying mantis. <laughs> right, just have a just like, go out in the yard and find your praying right. mantis and like, hey, look at the miniature. Be the best episode when Negrath shows up with all these little praying mantises crawling over because I got to watch the kids today. Yes. <laughs> just thousands of them crawling oh, all over them. We all love Negrath oh, so much. We are definitely the most Negrath loving podcast of all the Babylon Five podcasts, of which there are a few. All right, good point, good point. All right, so we're up to 416 exercise of vital power. Oh, I said this is the one with the, the, the name dispute. I'll get to that in just a yeah. minute because it's, it's one of my first notes. Right. But first, we got to do the old P5 rating guess. So as I always say, when the show first aired, the Lurker's Guide website, which is an invaluable resource, asked people who were watching back then, they would get thousands of votes every week, to rate the episode they just watched on a scale of 0 to 10. And they have it to like the second decimal place. So I asked Andy to guess what the P5 average was for this episode. So what do you think the P5 rating was for, for Exercise of Vital Powers? I'm going to say 7.8. 7.8. What is our number one rule we have determined for this exercise? Oh, it's got to be at least one higher. I'm going to say 8.8. 8.62. So you did much better when you thought about the rule. Right. If you Again, right. for I folks who haven't listened rule. in a while or forgotten, what we discovered is Andy's always about a point low, and we think it's because why, Andy? Uh, because we we have already watched it before, so we're, yeah. we're, not, we're jaded and crusty old men. Yes, that's it. And the people back then, it was new and exciting and more, right. and they, yeah. That's right. So right. 8.62, which is not bad at all. No. and That's and, really good. Yeah. And when That's, we get... Some would say generous. Yeah. When we get to the... Uh, it'll be interesting at the end of the episode, more or less, when we get to our own ratings and see how we kind of rated it. All right. This is four, episode 416. Uh, originally aired June 2nd, 1997. So we are still very close within 26 years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is July 6th that we're of 2023 that we're recording this. Again, still written by JMS. I'll keep on saying that. Directed by John Lafia. Not familiar with him. I don't know if he did any other ones, but maybe he did and I just missed it. Don't know anything about him, but I got a lot to say about somebody else. Do you want to do the summary or me this time? I can't remember. Uh, I can do it. You did it last time, so I'll do it this time. Let's fire it up. All right, so Garibaldi finally meets... Uh the uh, Mr. Edgar's from Edgar Industries um, travels to Mars for that, and uh, we find out more about what Edgar's has in store for Mr. Garibaldi. And Dr. Franklin is working with the um, telepaths that he has in cold storage, trying to finally find a way to cure them mm-hmm. of their their uh, um, uh, maladies. And he has a little bit he has a little bit of help from Talia, and he gets a little bit of pushback yep, wrong, from wrong telepath. Sheridan. Oh, not Talia. Um, uh, um, I wish. Right. No, uh, you just said her name. Lita. Lita. That's right. I, 
I I love Lita. I got nothing against Lita. She's great, especially in this season. I think. Yeah. But Talia has always been one of my favorites, so it just makes me sad to think that. that we should have had them both. Why not? Right. Anyway. <laughs> oh, good deal. Good job. All right. So notable guest stars this episode: Denise Gentile or Gentili, or however she pronounces it, as Lise Hampton, mm-hmm. whatever Edgar's. Right. Mark Schneider as Wade, who's basically like the right-hand man of Edgar's. And here we go. I went down the Ephraim Zimbalis Jr. rabbit hole, Andy, last night. I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I know he was on FBI when I was a kid, so let me find yeah. out a little bit more about him. Holy cow, is there a bunch to, is there a bunch to know about him? So here he we go. Is, you yeah. ready? I am. Ephraim, Ephraim Zimbalis Jr. playing William Edgar's. His father was a famous Russian Jewish violinist. I did not know that. His mother was a famous Romanian Jewish soprano singer. Wow. They met in the United States, got together, got married, had several kids, including Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Jr., right? Yep. Um, They converted to Episcopalian. Hmm. His father later was quoted as saying... As far as I am concerned, there has been no Jew in the family for 65 years. So they wow. really kind of threw off their heritage and became right. like wasp Americans, you know. And I, and I thought about that, and I don't know exactly what year that all was, but at, you know, first half of the 20th century, coming from Eastern Europe, you know, in yep. some ways self-preservation, Right, absolutely. You know what I mean, right. So I just thought all I that do. was really interesting. I love historical stuff, and that was... It's sad, you know, obviously you had to deny your whole heritage and everything, but I could I could kind of see, you know... And plus, of course, in the U.S., even back then, there was a lot of problems with it, so... Yeah, even today, there's still a lot yes, of problems. Yes, well, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was known for being a, uh, a, a like a... a, a a co-star in Maverick, which I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yep. He starred in 77 Sunset Strip. And yep. then he was the star of the FBI show from like the mid-60s <laughs> to the mid-70s, which was a show that I watched when I was a little kid with my grandparents. And he became very close with J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, which is interesting since he played Mr. Eggers. Right. That he was very tight with Jagger Hoover, and J. well, you know, JMS has a habit of naming characters yeah. after the actors um, that you know that um, their real life connections. Just, yeah, stuff. yeah, real life connections and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised by that. It's kind of cool. well, like Mira Furlan's husband, Goran Gaik. He used Gaik as a last name in uh, yeah. in the David Warner episode. So yeah, that's right. true. Um, but yeah, oh, and and J. Edgar Hoover actually used Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as like this is what I want my agents to look like and act like and sound like. He was like the poster boy <laughs> for how to be an FBI agent back in the sixties and seventies. That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. He was an active Republican, so I figured Jerry Doyle probably really enjoyed spending time with him between takes yes. on this episode. He did. I, yeah, I was reading an interview with Jerry Doyle, and he said he loved. Working with him. Oh, you know. Yeah. And he cam- he campaigned for Barry Goldwater along with Ronald Reagan in 1964, which is how Reagan ended up going into politics in a big way. And yep. And and Zimbalist, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. stayed in acting. He co-founded the Trinity Broadcasting Channel hmm. as a as a very passionate 
evangelical Christian, okay? Right. And he was the voice of Alfred Pennyworth on the Batman animated series. Yes, he was. I didn't know that. And then his daughter, Stephanie, he had several kids, but his daughter, Stephanie, of course, is very famous for co-starring with Pierce Brosnan, my favorite James Bond, in Remington Steel. And finally, he lived all the way until 2014, dying at the age of 95 and change. So how about that? And his father lived to be 95 as well. Right. Now, there are other animated. He was in other. He did a lot of animation, but you know who else he played? No. Justin Hammer. From the Iron Man animated oh, series. Oh, wow. Okay. And Dr. Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man. Wow. I never knew that. Yeah. That's oh, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. So like I said, I went down the Ephraim Zimbra's Jr. rabbit hole because I remembered him from FBI and I thought there might be more to it. Wow. There was certainly more to it. How about all that? <laughs> all right. What kind of factoids and random fan- factoids and notes do you have, if any, this week? Anything of note? Man, I, I did not find anything noteworthy i mean i you have much more you are much better at at pulling those up than i am but i looked at my usual places and i didn't see anything that was really all that all that really cool well i would say this i have several things but i may skip through some of them because i'm not sure all of them are as interesting as as they usually are i i some of these are kind of like eh I deleted quite a few on, on a second pass, and I may delete some more. All right, here's a few things. I do think, by the way, I thought this episode was a tour de force for Jerry Doyle. Yes. Every now and then, one actor kind of gets to go off, and this was kind of Jerry yep. Doyle's episode to go off, and I thought he did a great I've, job. I've got more to say on that later. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Um, here goes the title. This is what you're waiting to hear. Yes. Some resources refer to this episode as The Exercise of Vital Powers, but yep. if you watch the beginning of the episode, there's no the. If you, oh. if you watch the episode, it says exercise of vital powers. And when I saw that pop up on the screen, I rewound it to make sure I saw what I thought I saw. And I'm like, wait, what? And so I looked it up, and the, the Lurker's Guide says the title as shown at the top of Act 1 is missing the leading the. But the the was present in the pre-show information screen on the initial U.S. satellite feed, and it's present in the episode listing sent out by Warner Brothers. So, therefore, they call it the exercise of vital powers. They don't leave off the the, and it is assumed to perhaps be an error by the titling people, but JMS never addressed it. I was looking down into JMS Speaks to see if he explained it, and he never did address it. So I could tweet at him, but we all know how that goes. <laughs> I was just about to say, why don't you bring that up with him on Twitter, man? <laughs> we know how that goes, and I don't feel like having him want to kill me again, so I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, here's something I noticed that I did not read anywhere. I noticed this my own self. Um, when Stephen demands to know what Sheridan wants with the telepaths, Right on the video screen, yep. uh, Sheridan says, "Are you alone?" And Stephen says, "No, hold on a minute." And he tells everybody to leave so that the whole med lab is deserted. Then Sheridan tells him what he tells him, and in the next moment, we see Stephen walking out of med lab, kind of in a daze, processing it. Right? Presumably, right. they've just hung up the phone, metaphorically. Right. And behind him, the whole med lab is full of people. So. Either time has passed and he's been reeling and thinking about this for like 10 minutes because he's told some of them to go take a nap, get some rest or get some food. So it's been at least, you know, half an hour, an hour. 
or they messed up. Continuity. I think they probably messed up. Yeah. Continuity error, yeah. All right, I caught that. I, did, Very I didn't even catch that. Oh, the whole med lab is that's, full of people when he walks out. Yep. That's interesting. Uh, let's see. Well, Wade, you know, he only oh. gave him like he only gave him like two seconds to get out of there because that one guy walked <laughs> yeah. right in front of him and said, okay, everybody's out. I'm like, dude, that dude's not two feet away from you still. <laughs> well, all right. It's it's a very well-established thing on Babylon 5 that um, if you're off camera, you're out of earshot. Right. Th- that, that, that video that Allison sent us, one of our patrons, Allison, sent us a couple of weeks ago, remember? Yeah. People will walk around the corner out of Sheridan's office and they start talking about him. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, they're around the corner a foot, and they start talking about right. them like they're a mile away. So we've established right. that voice on Babylon 5 is line of sight. Right. <laughs> it's line of sight. That's all. Okay. All right. So there you go. Um, all right. Wade has a master's degree in literature. I just found that interesting because he was showing why Edgar's likes people that are presentable and make a good representation. Now that he is not being written as a common thug, he actually had some character depth to it. Yes. And the actor did a good job with it. And I'm like, dude, this is not the Wade from, you know, the last time he was there when he was like Joe thug. This is, this is an interesting character now. Yes. Because he's not having to be a a JMS thug. He's actually getting to be a, yeah, a more depth character. Right. Right. Yes. We've, I'm sure most of you listening know Andy and I have made a long thing of how the worst, worst, worst characters JMS writes are the Thug of the Week. Thugs right. of the Week. They're terrible. And, but he, to the actor's credit, he's not he's not treating it like a, a thug. He's yeah. treating it like a like a, a another character with you know a past and all that yes. stuff. So I thought it was really cool. I do like how every show that is ever and every movie just about that is ever set on Mars, they do us the favor of making everything some shade of red just to remind us where they are. Yeah. The the Expanse did that. Babylon Five does that. I don't remember if the if the Schwarzenegger movie does it, but it just it, seems up like until they, the very end it did. But you know they, you know why they yeah. do that? Because everything on Mars is red. <laughs> <What? laughs> I mean, the sky is red, the sand is red. I mean, it's everything all, is. It's pretty, rusted. It's pretty, all rust. It's all oxidized right. iron. But yeah, yeah, that's. But I just think it's funny that. I mean, if you actually had a base on Mars, you would p- totally not make it red, just so right. everything <laughs> wouldn't be red. But in well, in as a shorthand, oh, we must be on Mars because the room is red, right? The ceiling right. is red. The doors are red. So. Yeah, yeah. Even Edgar's living quarters. I mean, it was red. shades, various shades of, of reds, reds and browns, but mostly reddish color. Yeah. And that set was really cool. That couldn't have been that. I, that could not have been the 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 hot tub warehouse. I mean, they had marble floor. They had stained glass windows. I, I think they went to the yeah. local church and and went to the uh, rectory and filmed a scene or two because. Uh. I still felt like I was in the same room we were in on Zaha Doom when when Morden and Anna and uh, what's his name the little the little old man oh, were yeah. talking. I yeah. felt like it, it had the same space vibe. That I guess that could be. Yeah, I, I, I was. If so, I was impressed with that set. Yeah, that oh, was, for that sure. That was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, which is probably also the Centauri Prime throne room set. Yeah, probably. That could be. Yeah. They're just their one big space for something that's not Babylon 5. Right. Uh, let's see. We got a Night of the Long Knives reference. Um, interestingly, yeah. the, that um, I think it was the Lurkers guy that talks about Night of the Long Knives being a like a Roman thing or something. And I'm like, well, I only know the Nazi version where they right. where Hitler had the SA assassinated because they were like challenging him for control of the Nazi party. So, you know. 
that was it, there was a, a like a Roman aristocrat the the the, the yeah. older children of Roman aristocrats would go out and and, and gangs and, and randomly kill people. Yeah. With their knives, stabby, stabby, and stuff like that. Yeah, he made a reference to that. Um, it, it, all this, by the way, another one of my observations is I really do wonder what Garibaldi would think of what Sheridan and all are doing if he if he hadn't been influenced to some degree, as we know now, by outside forces. That's the question that just keeps resonating with me the last several episodes every time they show Garibaldi, is that, you know, and we've talked about this, is that Garibaldi, it, he's not himself, but he's not so not himself as to be unrecognizable. It's like the outside influence on him just took certain things and pushed him up to 11 and took other things and pushed him down to two, right? It's not... exactly. He's... His his graphic equalizer is not completely unrecognizable settings. It's just like if my daughter went in and messed with all my little knobs or little slidey things. You know what I mean? I was reading an interview with Jerry Doyle, and he said that what makes this so believable this this heel turn, yeah, to use a wrestling term, yes. so believable, yes, is that Bester didn't go in and mess with his mind and like implant things or or you know changes personality he just tweaked some of the dials up a little bit higher yep yep, yep. so like his distrust of authority he cranked that up from mm-hmm. i mean normally it's at seven he cranked it up to 11 <laughs> yes that's you right. know and and the the you know you know don't trust anybody but yourself he cranked that one way up too and all that yeah. stuff yeah. so it's still garibaldi it's yep. just that like you were saying some of the stuff it, it is is skewed a little bit more than what it should be so it's like all the worst parts about Garibaldi are amplified. And you know what's interesting about that, too, and I hadn't thought about it till you said that, is that people in this episode were talking like that was what was done to Sheridan. Yeah. On multiple occasions in this episode, people were like, Sheridan's different since he came back, which is exactly the case of Garibaldi. It's almost like gaslighting in a way, depending on how right. you look at it, right? It's when Garibaldi came back at the same rough time. He's been yep. different, and yet he says Sheridan's been different since he came back. And, yep. I mean, there's something to that, too. You know, like he says he never would have done all this before. And right. I don't know, but it's the same way as Garibaldi. Like with Garibaldi, I don't know what his real reaction to all this would have been. And with Sheridan, I don't know how third season Sheridan would have been. It's right. So it's like we've got Sheridan versus Garibaldi, and they both – may have been altered by outside forces and so that now they're butting heads rather than cooperating. Yep. Well, and even uh, Stephen, you know, mentions, mm-hmm. you know, just a handful of episodes ago, he was singing Sheridan's praises, like, trust him because he's a good guy and knows what he's doing. Yeah. So whatever he does, I stand behind him 100%. And at the end of this episode, Franklin was like, man, you know, I, 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 I see why he wants this done, but this is not the Sheridan that I that I knew. I'm shocked. curious. That's our all right. Here's my question to the to the listeners and the patrons for this week. Uh, if you guys want to comment, is Sheridan in your view different, and how so? Do you think that Lorien or his experience on Zaha Doom or what changed him? If you think he's different, if he changed, I'm curious what people say because I don't know that I would have ever said that, but I'm totally willing to hear other people say, oh, no, I, I can tell that he's, you know, and I'm curious how. How did he change and why and what's different? I'm curious what people think. And we'll, we'll talk about that 
next episode after we get some responses. And what's so interesting is you can look at both characters and see how what they've been through would organically affect them the way yeah. that it has and change them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to save that one. Um, there's a few things here I'm going to get to in the categories in just a minute. Uh, the title is a reference to Aristotle's definition of happiness, the exercise of vital powers along lines of excellence and a life affording them scope. Although I've read other things that say that's slightly misquoted, but it works good enough. Uh, the Emperor Tiberius had his aide Sejanus and his followers killed in the original Night of the Long Knives that in the year 31 AD. There you go. Um, but then it became Hitler's purge against the SA and the Nazi Party 1934. Um by the way, when people say the Nazis were socialists, I always point out the SA was socialist and Hitler had them all murdered. So you can't really say right. the Nazis were socialists <laughs> right. after that. People that right. don't, people that, you know, if you know history, you can figure out answers to these things. Uh, both Edgar's and Sheridan love orange juice. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and let's see. All right. That's all the, that's all the tidbits. Now, a few unanswered questions. Let's see what we can come up with. Uh, Garibaldi says Mars has tried to kill him before. One of those occasions was mentioned in the episode Infection that we've talked about many times and was portrayed in uh, five issues of the comic book that we're going to get to in a few months, probably, or a year or so. But we don't know what the other two were. That's an unanswered question. The other times that Mars tried to kill Garibaldi. We don't know. I was wondering that while I was watching myself. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. What what were the three times? And I got another something to say about his voiceover, too, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, there's just there's some speculation about exactly what's going on with Garibaldi. Again, I'm going to leave that for a little bit later. Um, Garibaldi was asked, did he, did he not remember what happened to him while he was missing? And we know that he does remember some of it, but he told the telepath, no, he doesn't remember. And she said that was correct. So that was interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, there's the whole mirror thing, him looking in a mirror during his questioning. We've seen Garibaldi look in a mirror several times. Uh, mm -hmm. That was interesting. Um, we don't know exactly what's going on yet with Edgar's and this virus that these people have. And right. I'm, I'm scared to talk about it much because I don't, A, I don't fully remember what happens in the next couple of episodes, and B, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's something going on there. Yes. Um, Franklin said Sheridan hadn't changed since returning from Zahadoom, quote, except for, unquote. He stopped himself before completing that sentence. What was he going to say next? Well, that's what I was just asking, so there you go. And like you said, Franklin does sound different now about him than he did just a, yeah. a couple episodes ago. Um, let's see. There's some speculation on what the telepaths are for, but we'll find that out soon enough. Um, let's see. And then finally, there's the question about Eggers, Clark, the Megacorps, the Psycor, what all is going on there. And it seemed to me, okay, that... Everybody wants to remove Sheridan from the equation just because he's a wild card. They all have their excuses, right? Their justifications. Clark says, oh, he's a traitor. He's under alien influence. You know, Eggers is like, he's messing everything up. We had this under control. He's going to come in like a bull in a china shop, you know. Or the, the you know, ISN says, oh, he's a sick man. He's, he needs help, you know. There's all these different excuses or justification for why he should be taken off the board. But the one thing they all have in common is 
he's a wild card messing with what they're doing, and they don't right. want that. Right. And it reminds me very much of the Dune story after the first Dune book, where you have all these organizations that have kind of been running things for thousands of years, and here comes this wild card, Paul Atreides, right? And he messes everything up for all of them. Right. So just a, there's some there's some Dune going on here, I think. Dune Messiah, yep. Children of Dune, not not the first one. Right. Do you, am I crazy or does that you see that? No, that yeah, I didn't think of that, but now that you mentioned it, it's very much yeah. It, he's he's upsetting the 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 world order. I mean, he's yeah. upsetting everybody's. I mean, they're all used to you know all their they're all set in their ways, and he comes up and just shakes everything up. First, he kicks you know the old ones out of the the galaxy, and then yeah, I mean yes. Yeah. He's shaking everything up. Interesting yep. that it, it shows the power of one person to change history, but there are people who think one person really doesn't change history. It's actually big natural forces. Right. Maybe that'll be addressed in the future. I don't know. You know, it's also interesting to point out that uh, Sheridan is causing a lot of chaos. Mm. Mm. Wow. But, yeah. Yeah. A lot of chaos for everybody. Now he's causing chaos for the bad guys, so. You have learned well from us, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Kosh is rolling over in his grave. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. There's just a couple of JMS speaks. He said this episode had a very different feel, leisurely in a way, but no less tense. It was a good addition to the mix. I agree. It was I do different. Too. Yeah. It was. It was. It was good. Oh, he said that the actor playing Wade kept getting the line wrong. It was supposed to say, uh, everything is everything is illusion, Mr. Garibaldi. Constructs of light, language, and metaphor. But instead, he keeps saying concepts of light, language, and metaphor. Yeah. I didn't go back and watch to see which one he ends up saying in the show, but I bet he got it wrong. Concepts Probably. instead of concepts. Yeah, well, he, he mumbles a lot. Yeah. He talks kind of like this. He kind of has yeah. mouth. You know what, Mr. Garibaldi? We got to do the right, so. Um JMS says Garibaldi has said he doesn't trust telepaths ever since the pilot movie. It's a question of degrees at this point, and that's true. <laughs> what book was Edgar's reading when Garibaldi walked in? The Bible. Yeah. Interesting. And finally, were the scars on the sick telepath? Somebody asked JMS, were the scars on the sick telepaths from the removal of implants? And, and JMS says, no, just standard lesions. Remember, a man as smart and rich as Edgar's can surely afford private lesions for his kids. <laughs> They're not all winners from JMS. That one's kind of. Right. That one was more of a. I'm getting a lot of use out of that one tonight. Man, that sound effect's coming in handy. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into the categories here? I am set. Let's do it. What was your high point? I hope we won't forget except, one this time. Ex- except for this one. <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> I could. I could. This was such a. a no, I, I guess. I guess the only thing that I, I can think of for a high point was at the very beginning when um, um, Sheridan is talking with Ivanova about how the, the war is going. And, and, you know, she's saying how all the ships are coming over to their side. And he's like, oh, that's five this week alone. So that that was kind of cool that not all of Earth Force is just a bunch of jerks, that a <laughs> lot of them are coming over to their side. He Even to the point where he said, you know, at this point, you know, if this continues, we're going to have more ships than they, more Earth ships on our side than on their side. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's the only thing I could really think of as an emotional high point because everything else was a pretty, pretty depressing yeah. episode. I, and I think that, 
you know, if if everything's going that well for Sheridan, a rider like JMS is going to find a way to knock the legs out from under him pretty soon. Right. When he said that, I could just, uh, there, I'm just thinking, there's uh, a giant shoe that's going to drop here pretty oh, soon yes. right on your head, mister. <laughs> 100%. My, I agree with you. It's hard to find a high point. My high, and, and that's not to say it was a bad episode, just it was kind of a very even episode. Right. Not a lot of highs and lows. Um, in fact, I had a hard time finding a low, too. Uh, that was oh, specific- I got some lows. Oh, well, it depends on how you look at it. A specifically low low I didn't find, but there are a lot of, a lot of medium right. lows. My high point was Edgar's finally laying out the whole background of President Clark and his coup and his regime and how the megacorps, we hadn't really heard that before, right? We've heard a lot of politics right. and military with Clark and fascism and all that, but we right. hadn't heard the business side of it. And when you start throwing in the whole money angle and the big business angle, suddenly it all makes just a whole lot of sense. Right. The, I just love the idea that Clark is basically just a stooge and a front for the big money people, but he ended up being a little more wily than they expected, only in so much as he brought in Psychor and gave them power and influence because that undercut the rich guy's influence. So basically, if it wasn't clear to our listeners, basically what we have a situation now is Clark is the figurehead in charge of the government, and he's a he's the head of like a bipedal structure with the megacorps, the the big money on one side and the psychor on the other, and they're in kind of a civil war to see which one of them can come out ahead and control their puppet Clark. Right. And Sheridan is attacking the puppet, but not the base, the two bases. Right. Now, I would think that the megacorps, let's just wildly speculate, we don't know at this point, let's wildly speculate that Sheridan rolls in and defeats President Clark. You, Am I not correct in saying that the, the megacorps immediately would just get behind Sheridan, right? They're going to go where oh, the bread absolutely. is buttered. They don't right. care. You know, one leader's as good as another as long as they get their tax breaks and, and all that. Right. But Psychor's different. They're not going to get behind Sheridan. Right. So they have a more of a dog in this fight. In other words, they care who wins. The Megacorps ultimately really wouldn't care, I don't think. I, I Well, I think that they, that they wouldn't care if Sheridan won, but what they're upset about is by Sheridan coming in like that, it is forcing Clark to take more and more desperate actions. And giving more power to the Psychor. Psychor, right. They're enemies. That's they're what, they're that's rivals. They're upset, right. Yes. They're not so much upset about Sheridan winning. They're upset about what, what Clark's it, what it does what to Clark's Clark. doing. Right, exactly. You're that's exactly right, yeah. I th- I think and this wasn't clear to me like the first two times I watched this show. I just I was caught up in the superficialities of everything and never really thought deeply about that. But I'm glad that we kind of went through that because I think our listeners maybe I'm sure plenty of our I'm, most of our listeners have understood it better than I did the first few times. But um, yeah, for those that didn't follow, I think that really is it. I think it really is that 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 Psychor is enjoying Clark letting them loose and and. The, the, the megacorps blame Sheridan for that. In other words, if right. Sheridan would go away and quit existing, Clark would put the Psychor back on a leash. Although right. now the toothpaste is out of the tube, I think. The genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. And I, I will note that this was really the first time that science fiction television 
or even movies for that matter, has had real world politics that that the politics are so thought out and and they're so important to to the the underlying story. Whereas you got Star Trek and Star Wars and all the the, the other you know properties out there, politics is just like eh, you know, it's it's the evil empire or eh, it's the evil yes. Klingons. You know, they yes. they never really put thought into the politics, and these politics are well thought out and <laughs> based exactly on real right. world you know examples and stuff like that. And I think that that has influenced a lot of science fiction since then. I mean, look at yes. the Expanse. The oh, Expanse yes. is all politics, and and it's very similar to. You know the what the 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 groundwork that JMS laid in in Babylon Five with these politics. Yeah, I agree absolutely. Um, oh, that was one other news thing that I wanted to ask you about. And I'm going to just throw it here real quick while I'm thinking about it. Um, sounds like people are interested in us doing uh, the Stargate uh, one-off and just see how it goes. So we'll have to schedule that. Yeah, definitely. All right, we'll talk about it. Okay. My other high point, real quick, was just the Garibaldi doing those noir voiceovers. That it gave that ep- it gave this episode very much a kind of a Sam Spade, even yep. Blade Runnery kind of a feel. You know that I thought was very and effective. Even a lot of the the camera angles and stuff like that, and the the yeah. set layouts and everything were very noir. So yeah, all we needed was, was Garibaldi sm- smoking a cigarette through the whole episode. <laughs> that would have made it perfect. You know, right? Of all the gin joints on the red planet. She had to walk into mine. <laughs> uh, I watched I, that. I watched that movie just the other night. Oh, it's so great! It's so great. Yeah. And I couldn't even drink the gin. <laughs> uh, let's see. Low point. What do you got? You said you had several of them. I I, I narrowed it down to two. The okay. low point f- for uh, for the episode. The first one was Stephen's reaction to Sheridan. Just yeah. sh- that completely shook Stephen to the core. You know, yeah. Stephen's always been very much about life, choosing life over death, and and. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into you know what Sheridan. We'll find out what Sheridan asked him to do, but that shook him to his core because it challenged his 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 being, what what he thought of as as his his core values. And now he's got to make a, a really difficult choice, and and you could see how much that affected him. That that one hurt, you know, seeing mm-hmm. Stephen after everything he's gone through, you know, with with the stems and all that stuff. That 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 one really hurt. But the biggest one was, uh, and this was this was one of the 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 lowest points in the entire series for me was when Garibaldi finally agrees, you know, this is, he, he makes the final decision to betray Sheridan. I mean, before it was like little steps, he would say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But you know, this and that and all that, this, he finally laid out his plan, gave the big bad guy the, how to do it. And then he said, and I'll bring him in for you. I mean, this, this was a, his, his character arc is, it's a negative character arc. Um, yeah, but the, the, this was the culminating point of his character, and it was it was a huge downer. When I first saw it, you know, back in the day, I was I was just it just it hurt. I mean, just watching that, it I felt betrayed, you know. Because we always have but, loved Garibaldi. Yeah, He's a lovable right. character in a lot of ways. Exactly, exactly. So, but uh, as a writer, I can appreciate his arc. But as as yes. a, a fan of the character, it man, it, it yeah. was it was rough, and th- this was the lowest point of that whole arc. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, the only other, you're exactly right. The only other one I had was Wade killing Ms. Constance instead of Payer. Yeah, right. I mean, that really, I think, exposed Edgar's agenda that he acts like he's kind of sympathetic toward the telepaths. Right. But he uses them and discards of them. And there's another bit coming up. Well, I'll just mention 
like toward the end when he says, you know, he, there's a, I, I don't know, I've got it coming up. I, there's an actual quote, but I'll, I'll quote it in a minute. Um, yeah. All right, most Babylon 5 scene. Uh, for me, I, again, I, I had two for this one as well. I had what you mentioned earlier when Edgar's was laying out the entire, yes. you know, the entire political scene back on Earth. Because this is really the first time we've had it all spelled out for us. What exactly. Earth is really like and the motivations, yes. you know, behind Clark and all that stuff. I thought that one was really big. And also um, when Garibaldi agrees to, to, you know, bring in Sheridan, he finds his dad and, and all that stuff. I thought that was just a, a, a monumental uh a monumental event in, in Babylon Five. I saw Sheridan's dad the other day in a movie. I rewatched. Oh yeah. I rewatched uh, Chinatown with Jack Nicholson. Oh, it's a classic. Yeah. And Rance Howard at the very beginning is a California farmer guy yelling and screaming at the uh, like the city council to give them more water. Oh man, I I, I know the scene you're talking about. I can't picture. Yeah. He's I, just I like a country right now, bumpkin yeah. farmer, yeah, up there going, you got to build us a dam and get us some water out in our orange groves, dang it. You know, right. and they're like fishing him out the door. Yeah. Um, my most Babylon 5 scene was Lita and the telepath in MedLab because there was a lot yes. of telepath stuff going on, Lita doing stuff, yep. and we've talked about Lita's arc this season and all. Yeah. So, and we heard yeah. the shadow scream again. Uh, we did, yeah. That, I One of the I, – I, I, it's not a spoiler because I honestly don't remember – that may be the last time we hear that. It might be. Might be. It maybe not, but it might be the last time no, we hear that. No, I, I, well, I, I think there's stuff coming up where we hear that again. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Favorite character moment. Oh, man. <laughs> Garibaldi and Lise. That, that whole scene in that room was just phenomenal. Just both yeah. on both parts. Um, yes. Both, both the actors were just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the way that the, the scene was staged, you know, Garibaldi was in this tiny room and he was talking about, you know, his character was trapped physically and emotionally. And, and it was just so powerfully done, you know, and written. And I, I keep saying this, but Garrett uh, or um, the actor that plays Garibaldi usually gets banged on a lot for not having any acting skills, you know, like he was, you know, a financial guy before, you know, he right. lied to get the job and he's not mm-hmm. a good actor. It, they have to watch this episode because, man, that was some good stuff. That that scene right there with Lise was powerful. You know that you felt the the both characters' pain. I thought that was really well done. I thought that was a, I mean, it's a rough scene to watch because you know uh, Jared or uh, Garibaldi really laid laid was laid bare by Lise. I mean, she really, you know, she really laid him bare. So that that was rough to watch, but uh, it was it was so well written, acted, and and filmed. It was it was a beautiful scene. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. I have that one on my little short list. Um, also, when Stephen Franklin reacts to Sheridan and the, and the telepaths, the shadow telepaths, yep. and um, I and, and I mentioned already, I thought it was interesting to hear Franklin saying things that echoed some of what Garibaldi was saying about Sheridan. So it is kind of yep. start making you wonder. Well, maybe Sheridan's not the the, the great hero here. Maybe there is something right. what Garibaldi is saying, and and that just lends verisimilitude to Garibaldi in the sense that. He no longer seems like he's quite as far out on a limb, right? If other people see what Garibaldi's seeing, maybe right. Sheridan is the problem. Maybe Michael's right, you know. Oh, right. so it really gets it makes it shades of gray rather than black and white, which is good. At, at the end of this episode, you can't blame Garibaldi for some of the decisions he makes. I know it's so crazy, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's like you know what? If I were in that situation, I don't know. No, I, and and I and I have to mention Lita 
Patricia Tallman was so good in this episode. I thought this was one of her better episodes. Yes, yes, for sure. I definitely agree with that. She does a lot of good stuff just with her facial expressions. That's always, a, yes. to me, a, an extra bonus. If you look at, like, especially in the pilot and stuff like that, if you look at some of, I mean, it's it's got to be hard for a, an actor to portray, you know, doing psychic stuff because there's mm-hmm. no physical right. essence to it. It's, it's all, you know, in your mind. But some of the earlier seasons, uh, some of the, the telepathic facial gestures and stuff like that was was almost laughable. But this one was very understated and subtle and, and still very impactful. I thought she did a great job, especially that scene. Yeah, when when she was there, and that dude playing the the um, telepath, you know, that was in Med Lab, he was good. Yeah, I mean, he acted. He barely had any lines. He he was acting entirely with just his face, and I thought he did a fantastic job. I didn't. I usually stay. I usually hang around and get the um, also starring guest star names from right. the end credits, but I didn't get them this time, so I don't know who he was. But I didn't. I don't know why. I think it was like it was one o'clock in the morning, and I was just trying to get to the end of it so I could make some notes and go to sleep. But I didn't get, I didn't get it. <laughs> but I'm excited about this one because I thought this episode had one funny moment in the entire thing, and I want to see okay, if we you, have the same one. Uh, Are you? Mine was when uh, uh, Wade tells Garibaldi not to touch anything in his, <laughs> in his room. And okay, he there went, were two. He waited until he left and he goes touch, touch. touch, touch I mean, touch. he actually said it out loud as he was touching stuff. So I thought that was pretty. That was, that was a very, very Jerry Doyle, very Garibaldi. Yep. Yeah, thumbing his his nose at, at yep. authority. Yep. Now what was your? I, there was another one, but I forgot it. So I'm I'm assuming that's the one that that uh, you picked. Yeah, the other one I'd forgotten number two. So you found one, I found one. The other one is Edgar says, "Do you know how the ancient Greeks defined happiness?" <laughs> Garibaldi doesn't bat an eye. He says, "Not offhand, but I'd imagine it involves three goats and a jug of wine." <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so yeah, good. That's exactly that's so it. Good. And and so. I think what makes it for me is the jug of wine, right? Right. <laughs> Cuz it's the ancient Greek, so it's not a bottle of wine, it's not a barrel of wine, it's a jug of wine. I love it. Right. That's so Oh man, that's such a great line. That's such a great line. So, the actor that we're looking for is Sandy Grin. Wow, there you go. Good job, yeah, Sandy. He was in Beetlejuice. Child's Play 3 and Child's Play 2. Oh. That's so, what he's known for. Sh- crazy shadow telepath dude is not out of his wheelhouse at all. Right. <laughs> that's, right, that's right in the strike zone for him. Right. <laughs> How about that? All right. Well, this one's going to be interesting. Who won this episode? I think I there's have, only one real answer, but I'm curious to see what you think. I have Clark slash Edgar's. Yeah. Because Clark, because... Garibaldi agreed to betray. Yeah. Um, well, both of them, both Clark and Edgar's, because they both they both get something out of you know um, Sheridan being captured. I'm with you, but I said Edgar's as the most obvious winner. I think I just think Clark is a little more indirect here for this episode. Right. Right. You kind of have to look ahead some to get to get I think to get yeah. Clark for this episode alone. I think it's just Edgar's. All right, who lost this episode? <laughs> Garibaldi lost this. Episode. Really? Okay. Just he made because all the wrong decisions. Made wrong decisions. Okay. I don't have him on my list, and I have four people. Wow. <laughs> all actually, right. Well, actually, I have more than four, but I have three entries. Okay. Okay. One of mine is Sheridan. And now, again, I don't know that it's because of anything going to happen to him or not, but just in terms of having people suddenly doubt him, that's yes. not good. Okay. That's a good point. 
So Sheridan's kind of a, I have a question mark after it, kind of sort of a loser. Um, a whole bunch of people in terms of, and this is what I referenced earlier that I was going to mention again, is the telepaths being experimented on by Edgars and his scientists. When yeah. he says, put them all down, there's enough pain in the universe. There's no need to add to it until we have to. Now, right. I want to take this entire little paragraph and break it down for you very quickly. Put them all down. Good Lord, okay, kill all these people. But then he says, there's enough pain in the universe. There's no need to add to it. So he goes from super dark to, oh, I'm being, I'm, it's a, what do you call it? it uh, I'm having mercy. Right. There's no need, there's enough pain in the universe. Oh, there's no need to add to it. Oh, okay, good. Until we have to. So he's right. basically saying, I'm not going to add to it now. Oh, but I'm about to. Right. I'm going to. Yeah, that that turned that turned the the darkness aisle on that character up quite a bit. Ooh, yeah, yes. that dial oh. got cranked. When he said "until we have to," I was just like, "Whoa!" Right. He's basically saying, you know, we don't need to kill a whole lot of people and make them suffer in agony right now, but we're gonna. Yeah. Jeez. And then I think the big loser, along with all that, Miss Constance. Yeah, yeah, she definitely lost that one. <laughs> it's hard to say she didn't lose. You're right. And the people of Proxima 7 who still haven't been uh, rescued yeah. yet. But Ms. Constance had to sit there and be belittled by Garibaldi to her face and not say anything yeah. for a paycheck that she never gets and gets shot in the head yeah. by Wade. Lose, 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 lose. That was a bad night for Ms. Constance. Bad night for Ms. Constance, yeah. And I wonder if she detected anything from Wade when he came in before he whipped out the PPG. Seemed like she'd have been like, oh, no, you know, or something. Well, I'm sure because she was psycho, she was not actively scanning Wade. Yeah, yeah, she should have been. Her mistake. Yep. Uh, but you can see where why Edgars would stay away from people that work for him, though, because he doesn't want them to know all of his... Right. Until yeah. I have to plans. Yep. So, all right. Everybody's favorite moment when we find out the rating that you gave it. On a scale of zero, we do we do half of the P10 rating or a P5 rating or whatever it's called. Right. So on a scale of zero to five, this episode for Andy is a. You know, I I waffled again. I'm always having you know. I, <laughs> this I season's I killing us. Pin it down. It is. I thought this was you know a lot of the episodes that we've been complaining about you know for the past several weeks has been because they're just so disjointed and not focused and everything. This one was really laser focused. I mean, it was. this one it, it was very much you know focused on Garibaldi and Mars, and it even incorporated other elements and other stories. But it was all a, you know it all was organically branching from you know what was going on, and it all intertwined. And I thought I thought that was really well. I thought it was a very very important moment for Garibaldi. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we went over that how how this was such a huge moment in his character arc, um, and it it moved the um, the uh, the final war against Clark Ford, you know, you had that little bit at the beginning with, you know, the ships coming over, and then you had the whole spiel about um, what uh, um, what uh, Edgar's was saying about the politics and everything like that. So, I really, really wanted to give this a four, but there's just not enough bang pow, oh my mm -hmm. goodness moments. Like you said, it's very even keeled. It's not mm -hmm. not a lot of lows, but not a lot of you know big highs either. So I'm gonna 
I'm going to give it a 3.5, but it's it's I'm I, I, I'm I wanted to give it a four really bad, but it's it's a three five. Almost verbatim what you just said. Three point five for me too. <laughs> just almost yep. exactly. I was looking at it this way though. I thought that for this episode, with so few fireworks, this episode reached up to get a three point five, as right. opposed to being a four that didn't quite measure up. For me, right. this is a three point five that achieved a three point five. Yeah. So I consider that a good thing. I think this one right. over. I think this was a very mediocre episode that overachieved rather than a great episode that that disappointed us. You know what I mean? Right. You can end up in the middle with that kind of an equation coming from both directions. You know what I mean? Right. But this one was this was a going up to three point five, and I give it credit for that. Well, you warned us last last time we we recorded a podcast. You warned us that be prepared for some box episodes, some closet episodes, and by golly, yeah. Garibaldi was thrown in a closet. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to this episode. No. As far as set, I mean, we had Medlab. Medlab was a is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, I I, I saw more of Medlab in this episode than I think I ever have. That's probably true. It's, yeah. it's got hallways and multiple rooms and stuff like that. So I thought I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, it, you you warned us that it was going to be a very very tight episode. As far as budget, and by golly, this was this was one of them. I think the only real effects we got this episode were like the exterior Mars shots, and they were just a couple, like the little that, yeah. travel tube. And those were those were recycled, yeah. Well, except for the one scene in in the uh, the uh, the tube, which mm-hmm. I thought was really effectively done with the the uh, shadows of the the tube supports going across. Yeah, the lighting, but um, the opening shot of the uh, um, of the uh, Earth ships that have joined Babylon Five. Yes, that was that, that was, was nice. The, yeah, so that was that that was, but I think that may have even been recycled. I'm not sure, but yeah, could be. So um, yeah, it, it was it wasn't very effects heavy for sure. I do like the uh, the travel tube. It always makes me think of Space 1999 and Moonbase Alpha <laughs> having the travel tubes, the little cylinders that run through the tube. So I like that. Yeah. It makes me happy. Yeah, so three point five for me too. All right, we've got uh, some really good uh, listener patron comments and questions we're going to get to in just a second, but i got to quickly thank our patrons that keep this program uh, going. Uh-oh, where are my... Oh, they've... <laughs> well, it, it would have been nice if they told me they were changing the website a little bit. <laughs> They, they've changed the Patreon page just enough to confuse me. But anyway, what I do, I thank every episode. I thank the folks who currently are our patrons. And you can put whatever name you like in your name field on Patreon. And that's what I, that's who I thank or that's what I read. Right. <laughs> and people always enjoy that. We pioneered this on, the, on our football show that John Ringer and I do. And it, wor- it worked on really well. So we do it here too. And it encourages folks to sign up. So we have to thank... The fine folks who keep our program going. They include the great Allison Rich. I said that. She didn't. Allison Rich. Colonel Dad, <laughs> a.k.a. Ari Ben Zane. I am missing my category, mister. Leah, Leah G. Rich Hammett. Ben, I'm all caught up, so now I have to wait for new episodes. Rose. Sorry, Ben. Debbie, no spoilers, Norris. I hope I pulled that. <laughs> I gave a spoiler a while ago. And I, had to, I had to suddenly go... <laughs> don't don't forget to edit that now. Yeah, I'm, there's going to be a big long silent space if I forget to edit it. That's what I put in to remember. <laughs> uh, Dragon Con Delin, we were just talking about Dragon Con. Emmanuel Seaman, 
Jalja, Mind06, Michael O'Connor, Middle Age Geek Tim, Pete the Real Reason Van avoids saying Dragon Con for him. Yeah, I, like I avoid saying Dragon Con. Uh, <laughs> St- Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone, Michael Halbrook, and Saul Tie Defender and Stargate Universe Enjoyer. I love it. So, yeah, I think we have a comment along those lines, which we'll get to here in just a second. So, thank you guys and gals all so very, very much. Um, and now, let me see what we need to do. We have some patron comments. So, here we go, Andy. This is really fun. We have a lot of really good patron questions and comments this episode that came off of... Um, came off of our review of No Surrender, No Retreat. So, uh, Saul Tide Defender and Stargate Universe Enjoyer says, that mixes like several shows together, but anyway. It does. He says, I am starting Stargate Universe this week. I recently watched SG-1 in Atlantis, so I would enjoy a bonus episode. We are totally going to do it. Let's make yes, a pact I'm, I'm of in. steel. Yes, all right. We're going to watch the first episode of Stargate Universe and see if Andy likes it, and we'll do our regular show about it. I'll I'll send you a template, and we'll talk about it. Okay. We should do the first three episodes like we did the first three episodes of Babylon 5 in our first episode. <laughs> it's it. You freaked me out when you said that, because I think the first episode is a three-parter. Maybe we ought to do that. I think we're going to have to do it. It's called right, Air. It's called Air. In fact... Um, Somewhere back here behind me on my bookcase, I have the novelization by James Swallow, the Warhammer writer, of that episode. Cool. I think it's James Swallow. Yeah, he does a lot of mass media stuff, kind of like Keith the Canada. All right. So let's see. We're, we're, we're going to firm that up. Ben, I'm all caught up, so now I have to wait for new episodes. Rose says, a lot of the titles are like Nostradamus's quatrains because they only, <laughs> that's so good, because they only make sense after the fact. Edgar states right. the title of the episode, The Exercise of Vital Powers, as part of the Greek definition of happiness. This isn't Friends, so not every episode title will be as on the nose as Grade <laughs> 17 is missing. <laughs> oh, I got to give you a, I got to give you a. Please clap. There you go. That was good. Way to go, Ben. Really well done. All right, middle aged geek. If, could you imagine if if he named every episode like they named the episodes of Friends, <laughs> the episode where Garibaldi goes dis, goes missing, <laughs> <laughs> the the one where Edgar's lays it all out or something. I don't right. know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, let's see. Middle aged geek Tim says, "Do the books give any more insight to the worker cast? I would hardly think they would just stand by and do nothing with the warrior and religious cast." fighting among themselves. If the worker cast built all the ships, you would think they would have installed a kill switch on them. Yes! <laughs> Tim coming with the game there, too. Y'all, are, these are great comments tonight. I love the idea well, the worker cast is like, no, we have a kill switch. The <laughs> worker like, cast is too busy working, because they're probably working like 80-hour work weeks long, and stuff like that. Long yeah, days. They're probably, they get home from the factory and they go to bed. They, they don't care about politics. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Tim, I've read pretty much everything that's ever been written official and somewhat unofficial on Babylon 5, and I don't think the worker cast comes up twice again, honestly. I, I don't think they ever really say anything. I may be the, missing something. The worker, f- cast is, the worker cast is the Gen X of the Membari. <laughs> Ow, that hurts. Ow. <laughs> it's true but painful. Painful but true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... 
In fact, I'm going to go out even further on a limb and say that in the books, I think the Minbari get the least attention of anybody. I don't remember the Minbari being featured in any of the books or stories. I don't think they they were not really. It was a lot a lot of the Centauri and a lot Centauri? of the um, the, the Psychor uh, gets Psychor. a good Psychor yeah. Centauri the Techno Mages, yep. The Rangers, yeah. But I mean, and some of the stories involve you know Londo or Jakar, but there's not really much about Delin or the Minbari in the in the in the in the literature. Right. I, I guess the closest you get is the uh, the, um, the Rangers. The well, yeah. And the um, the Babylon Four comic book. Oh yeah, that's about it. That's the only one I can one. even think of. And they don't really, I don't think, go into the workers. They just talk about like the Minbari. We'll 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 get to that when we get to it. Anyway, yeah. good good point, Tim. I think that's a good question. Yeah, very good point. Good point. Um, oh, <laughs> so Colonel Dad says just in what really happened on Orion Seven. And I remember that the link he posted here is funny, but I can't remember offhand. It's a Reels video. Oh, it's... <laughs> All right, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So what Colonel Dad says, what really happened to Ryan 7, he posted that video of a family out in their driveway getting ready to shoot off fireworks, and the fireworks <laughs> hits the gas tank of the car. And everything blows up. The family goes running. Oh, uh, that's that. Watching that video is an annual tradition in our house. I love that video. <laughs> so there's what happened. Orion, probably a, a, a stray shot from the uh, from one of the Omega destroyers, blew up the entire planet. And so Sheridan's like, just don't talk about Orion Seven. Let's <laughs> just pretend it never existed. Drive on, on to Proxima. Woo! <laughs> They're like, oh, but, but Captain, what about Orion set? Where? Who? What? <laughs> I've what? never heard of that. No, Sorry. I'm not familiar. Oh, no. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. And finally, Pete, the yeah, real hold reason. On. Oh. Hold on. Sheridan's got a big map of, of all the Earth colonies, and he took a black Sharpie and yes. scribbled out. Scratched out. <laughs> and Ivana was like, Captain, what? what used to be under that? Don't, don't ask questions, Susan. <laughs> don't ask, Susan. We're moving on. <laughs> I had to send him straight to hell. <laughs> Good point. All right, Pete, the real reason Vanna Voice saying DragonCon Furman, he he finishes us up here. He says, "Forget Major Atumbe. We will never forget Major Atumbe. This we show loves Major. Check out our boy Corwin on the bridge, barking out orders and sending out fighter squadrons. Looks like with Garibaldi on Mars, Corwin is number three in charge of the station. He certainly acts like it." He does, man. I love seeing that. I, I, I should have brought that up because that was a really cool moment right. for him. Yeah, way to go, Corwin. He's he's getting uh, getting some gumption. Uh, and Andy, it's not just Van that plugs his books. It's that his are easier to find. Both of your books on Amazon are either a Volume 5 or Book 2 of Secret Agent X, Brother Bones. Reading them first would be like seeing the last Indiana Jones movie that Van has been cheerleading for first. Okay. These are not my opinions. These are Pete. But Aviation Aces is on my vacation reading list with Van's books. Well, thank you, Pete. We both appreciate that, I'm right. sure. Definitely. Uh, to, to be fair, yeah. I, I've only done short stories for anthologies. I, I don't have a novel yet yeah. under my belt. Van, Van's got like 937 novels. 20. So. That's all. Just 20. 20. All right. 20 novels. You'll, you'll get there. I am. I'm working you, on my first one now. So There you go. I'm very excited. I'm going to be first in line. As for Van's crusade back and forth with JMS, oh, here we go. 
I think Van is off on it. It's true that JMS invited you to the party, but I don't see it as him kicking you out. I guess about Crusade. More yeah. like he's just not throwing another one since we were the only five people that showed up to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and now he, one of us keeps trying to get him to throw another one. Fair enough. But I, That's a I, good, good it's, analogy. I like it's, that. It's a good point. It's a good analogy. I would just say... He all but begged us to give Crusade a chance, and I just feel like we went to the party after he twisted our arms. We went to the party like I would have needed my arm twisted to watch Battle okay. Five show, and then I don't get to, I don't, you know, they pour me a drink, and I never get to take a sip of it. I get to look at it, hold the cup in my hand. They take the cup out of my hand and kick me out the door, and I'm like, hey, can I come back over and finish that beer? No. No, we're not ever doing that party again. We're never having that beer again. You just learn well, to live without it. And here, you know, taking this analogy to stupid extremes. Because why not? I think think he's bitter because the cop showed up and shut his party down before it got good. Yeah. And he doesn't like talking about it because he's still bitter about it. And you keep saying, remember that one party that was really cool and the cop showed up? He's like, stop talking about that now. Stop talking about it. Yep. That's probably true. Dang it. I'm sorry. I just really liked that show. I'm a big fan of, I mean, you know, Babylon 5 is great because it's a show where everybody's together on a station and things kind of come to them more often than not, and that's fine. But my big kind of story, and I was just talking about this with my football show host the other day, he was saying, he was like, he's like, I usually don't disagree with your opinion on movies and stuff. He says, but you really love the 13th Warrior, and I thought it was very mediocre. I'm like, I love that kind of stuff because I like any kind of a story where people go off on a mission, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, it's, whether it's Lord of the Rings or the 13th Warrior, or Ocean's Eleven, right? It, whether they're saving the world from Sauron or whether they're breaking into a casino vault, it's all the same to me. If you've got a, if you've got a team of specialists on a mission, I am there. And, and Crusade was a team of specialists on a mission. And I loved it, and I wanted more of it, and I'm just never going to let it go because it makes that, me sad. That is called a story with a strong narrative drive. Yeah, it's an, it's, an, it's an Alistair McLean, uh, Force 10 from Navarone, Guns of Navarone, Ice Station Zebra, you know, uh, all those McLean type stories I just love. I'm a sucker for every one of them. So. Yep. All right. Um, well, our only thing left to talk about is to. Chunkate activated. Go through to spoiler space. And now that we're in spoiler space, I don't really have anything to talk about over here. I just wanted to push the button. Do you have any spoiler spaces? The only thing that I have to talk about is this was the perfect opening salvo of the the uh, um, the Psy Wars. Yeah. You know, if they could have developed this angle so yeah. much better in season five, it's just I, I know we keep coming back to this, but it's so sad that season five ended up the way it did because the whole, I mean, man, this could have been a good, a good, uh, bit in season five. You know what I we think, got, yeah. what we got was so disappointing as far as the, the side you know, the side wars and all that stuff. I mean, this, this was setting it up to be a genocide. This was, I mean, mm-hmm. this was really cool. Season five should have been the telepath war. And yeah. instead the first half of it is, um, a small incident that contributes to it, which is fine, but it's like if it's like if they're setting up World War One, and the only thing you see are the events leading up to Gavrilo Princip shooting the Archduke. 
Right. You're like, well, I kind of wanted to see the Germans battling the British and the French and the Russians on the Eastern Front and all that, and instead I basically right. got this guy running around, you know, Sarajevo with a pistol for five episodes, and that's not right. quite the same you know, thing. So just imagine if the same if season five had been for the telepath war, what's, what the beginning of season four was for the, uh, the Shadow War. Right, ex- exactly. Ah. Yeah. And instead we get what we get, and then it, and then halfway through, it abruptly changes into, you know, oh look, the Drock are up to something on Centauri Prime, on and on and on. There's a reason why people don't like season five that much, and I think that part. I think I've always said part of it is there just wasn't there weren't enough great characters left by that point. Right. And then part of it is that the things he decided to focus on, I think there were better stories he could have told with that space. Agreed. So. And and Rebo and Zudi and janitors. <laughs> well, honestly, the janitors. I, I, I'll say this: I think that what works best in season five, as we'll see in a few months, if not weeks, I think that what works best in season five actually for me turned out to be the standalones that there were more like good season one episodes. Right, I'm with you. The I, you arc, know, the I crack on season five is I crack on the janitors episode, but that was really a good episode. That was a good one, yeah. Yeah. Well, I put it this way. It's one of those kind of like believers, although how you feel about believers now is whatever, but the the janitor's episode in season five is one of those where at the time we're wanting more bang, bang, meat episodes, and we got that, and we're like, ah, we just wasted a week. Right. But when you go back having the whole thing now, those kind of episodes, I think, are stronger because you know... You can just skip on ahead if you want to, but you because you know the rest of the story's there, such as it is. Right. But but you get this nice little self-contained package. Right. I think the biggest criticism for for season five is normally you have at the end of a novel you have like an epilogue or the denouement yeah. where you just you take a couple pages, maybe four or five pages, and you say how everything is now after mm-hmm. the big battle. Mm-hmm. That would have been great if it weren't one fifth of the entirety of Babylon yeah. Five. Yeah, yeah. I I think in the moment, and again, this is just our subjective opinions, but I think I agree with Andy. I think in the moment, JMS went with what he thought were stories that were doable and presented themselves logically as the next thing to talk about. But I I I'd like to think that if he had some time to reflect and if he had a bigger budget than probably what TNT was giving him. I think he would have done it maybe a little bit different. And if he knew the feedback, right, how people would look right. at it. Right. I think he might have done it a little bit differently. But then again, I would also would have thought he'd tell us how the crusade story ended. So what do I know? Right. <laughs> and I, I, I think you're right because I think TNT tied him to Babylon 5 for, you know, just for, for um, branding. I mean, if you got a show named Babylon 5, you better, you know, center it on the space station Babylon 5. Yeah. They wanted more of a Star Trek where it's tied to one place. And like you said, for budgetary reasons, you can't have a big epic war, you know, if you're on a tight budget. Well, I mean, he did it the first four seasons. But, yeah, I, I think I think he he was forced to, to center a lot of the stories on Babylon 5 for multiple reasons. It's going to be interesting, I think. I'm really looking forward to season. I'm not looking forward to watching season five again that much. But right. I'm definitely looking forward to talking with you about season five as we go, because it has there's there's one of two things I think is going to happen. Either we're going to discover parts of it that we really like, 
which is what happened with us with season one here. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to be like, ah, it's it's as bad or worse than we remember, you know. <laughs> it's, it, it, I'm we're looking gonna forward be, to watching it, yeah. We're either going to be pleasantly surprised or we're going to have our negativity confirmed. It's going to be one of those two. Right. And, I, you know, I've, I've said this before. I have not watched season five since it originally aired. Wow. So, so yeah, that'll yeah. be fresh to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember there's three things. There's three elements of season five. There's the telepath business early. There's the mm-hmm. Centauri business late. And then there's mm-hmm. just a, a handful of little one-shots sprinkled. Right. And like I said, at the time, the one-shots were annoying to us. Um, like if you'd had a one-off about janitors in the middle of the Shadow War episodes, we'd have been climbing <laughs> right. the freaking wall, right? We'd have been right. burning down the studio. Um, but I think I think that we're going to look at those as like some of the best episodes of season five. I feel like there's a good chance that we'll look at those and say, you know, like the Neil Gaiman episode. Yeah. But we'll see. Be interesting. Yeah. All right. It, it will be interesting. I'm. 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 It, it's going to be fun to watch them again. All right. Well, we're at our usual minute. I mean, one hour and twenty something minutes. So we've we've done our duty for this uh, for this round. Join Andy and me. In two weeks for 417, The Face of the Enemy. And Andy, when I see that title, it suddenly feels to me like things are moving along quickly again like they did with the Mimbari Civil War. Yes. I feel like we slowed down, we sped up, we slowed down, and now we're going down the roller coaster again. Yep. Foot's on the gas. Here we go. All right. That'll do it for this episode, gang. Thank you all so much, and we will see you guys next time. Take it easy, Andy. All right. Take care, man. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.